What is happening to supermarket prices? Do own label brands taste good? What's the best supermarket? What's the worst? How do I spend less on my weekly shop? Are there ways I can shop smarter? Should I just be growing my own veg? How do I even grow veg? <sighs> Wine to pair with spag ball? When life gives you questions, get answers at witch.co.uk. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. The key thing to remember is that financial advice can make you money, whether it's because you get better investments than you would have picked yourself, or because they properly insure you in case things go wrong. I suppose it's whether you consider it to be a hobby or whether you want a proper plan, really. It can be very confusing. And of course, people might have a burst of energy where they think, right, I'm going to sort out my pension, whatever it is. But unless someone's there to actually say, right, do this and now do that. And oh, don't worry about that question, but you do need to look at this bit of the form. Then it can get overwhelming quite quickly. Today's show is centred around the question, have you spoken to a financial advisor? Because the truth is not many of us have, myself included. It's something that's often seen as being exclusively for the super wealthy, but could this be changing? Well, this week we have a mammoth episode for you on financial advice. We'll be discussing the things preventing consumers from accessing advisors and the key questions you might have around when you need to get one, the benefits of doing so and how to find one. And for this, I'm joined by two brilliant guests, the deputy editor of Which Money, Sam Richardson and Olivia Bowen, partner in financial advice at UK firm Castlefield. Thank you both so, so much for joining us today. Hi, Lucia. Hello, thank you for inviting me. You're so welcome. Well, first things first then, I think I'm probably in the same boat here as many of our listeners in that I've never talked to a financial advisor. But I know from our conversation before today's show that you have, Sam, and before we hear the wealth of expertise from you, Olivia, on the benefits of speaking to an advisor and how they can help, I think your experience, Sam, might be a good place to start just to get an idea of how it works in practice and, and what it's been like for you. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I obviously consider myself a bit of a finance know-it-all, given my job. So I was a bit nervous about meeting an actual financial advisor because <laughs> they might call me out a little bit. So it was very interesting. It wasn't just about, you know, picking investments. Like, actually, what do we invest the money in? It was very holistic. Uh, my financial advisor, he was asking, you know, about my savings, my life goals, what I intend to be doing in a few years. Am I going to have kids? All these kind of deep questions that I'd not really thought of. And then really planning out my financial future, showing all these graphs about how much I'd have when I retire. So it, it was really interesting to get that kind of attention for all of my finances and not just, you know, which funds should we invest in? Well, you know, the elephant in the room here is the cost of using a financial advisor. And we'll be unpacking this as we go through the show and perhaps how the perception is changing. But first, can we hear a few more details about how it all works? So, Olivia, let's get into the shoes of someone wondering if they need financial advice. Broadly speaking, then, what is it for? Yes. So I would say most people are planning for their eventual retirement. Um, mm -hmm. But there are many ways of going about that um, and lots of sort of shoot off pieces of work that we can do for people. But I would say that's the core of what we do. 
Um, so really, we say that we're there to help if people don't have the time, skills or inclination to do their own financial planning. So it is a complex area, but it's not rocket science. So in theory, if you're good with a spreadsheet, you're comfortable with numbers, um, you, you're you interested in it and you have the time, then in theory, you could do it yourself. But what we find is the people who seek advice from us really want that support, either in terms of how to frame what their financial position looks like now and might look like in the future, um, and to keep on on you know on board with all the tax changes that might be happening that they might miss if they're not in the industry. Um, and it is time consuming because you need to plot where someone is and where they might go based on all sorts of different you know um, things like their risk profile. Clearly, how much money they've got, what they might spend now versus what they might spend in the future. So it can get quite complicated. And so then, if you fall into this category, you want to find out more, you might want to seek advice. What is the difference then between looking online and doing it yourself, talking to a friend or family member, and then getting a financial advisor? And I should add here and stress a regulated financial advisor. Yes, exactly. And um, make sure they are regulated by our regulator, the FCA. Otherwise, you really don't know what you're getting. And the FCA has a register. So any UK advisor should be regulated by the FCA. Um, I suppose it's whether you consider it to be a hobby or whether you want a proper plan, really. Um, a, there's a wealth of information online. But what we find is it, it can be very confusing. And of course, People might have a burst of energy where they think, right, I'm going to sort out my pension, whatever it is. But unless someone's there to actually say, right, do this and now do that. And oh, don't worry about that question. But you do need to look at this bit of the form or whatever. Then it can get overwhelming quite quickly. Or they just might not feel motivated to complete the process because they're busy with the rest of their lives. So having someone there to take responsibility for you, I think, is really valuable. You might have a friend or family member who can do that for you but lots of people don't. And can we just go back to the point about having a regulated financial advisor and, and what that means should something, hopefully it won't, but should something go wrong? Well, in theory, you can then um, complain about the advice that you've had. Um, and the FCA is ultimately there to protect um, consumers or, you know, our clients. Um, and so there's a, there's, there are protections there ultimately um, if you go down the regulated route, which everyone should. That's definitely a golden rule we should all stick by. And there's another definition we should unpick, and that's an independent financial advisor. Can you explain what this means and what the alternative is if you go to what's called a restricted advisor? Yes, and there's also tied advisors. So mm. I've actually been all three in my career. That's very so... helpful for us today. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So um, independent is um, sort of bandied around as being the holy grail of um, make sure your advisor is independent. But really, over time, it's become, I think, quite meaningless because what it's what it means in theory is that your advisor can um, look at the whole of the market for you when making giving advice. So that means looking across all providers of financial products, want of a better word, all funds that are available, all policies, which is just unrealistic. No firm can do that. So what you end up with really is every ind firm, independent or otherwise, has a panel. Um, so 
we used to be independent, but we specialize in what we call thoughtful investing or what's currently called ESG. We used to call it ethical investing. Um, and we realized that our that was a natural restriction for us because we're not looking at the whole of the market for clients. Absolutely. We're only looking at you know, good quality, ethically screened funds. So we thought, well, in becoming restricted, it's what we're doing anyway, really. And it means that there is a, um, a layer of of research and compliance that comes away. Um, and there's so much in our industry that anything we can do to try and make it more efficient means that we can charge clients less. And as we'll talk about later on this podcast, cost is a big issue for our industry. So it absolutely made sense for us to become restricted a few years ago. Um, and I would say the most important thing is don't be put off if a firm is restricted, but ask them about their their process and make sure that they're refreshing their panel at least every year so that they're open to new providers or policies that are coming to market that might be just perfect for their particular client base so that it doesn't become stagnant. I would say that's the most important thing. And then Tide is quite restricted. And that's when you the, the advisor will only have access to one provider's policies and funds. And you used to get that in the banking arm quite a lot. So, you know, if you had a financial advisor, probably now called a wealth manager from, you know, HSBC, they're only ever going to recommend whatever restrictions HSBC have put in place, which often would be very tied, you know, to one provider. So um, hopefully that explains the sort of three main classifications. It does. Thank you. So much really helpful advice and context that, that we've just been through. And now I feel like we've got a pretty good handle of the basics then. Let's take a wider look and bring in some data on who's actually using a financial advisor. So according to the FCA, the financial regulator, only one in six people with more than £10,000 in investable assets have taken financial advice in the past year. Sam, how does this compare to our survey findings at which? So which members are a little more likely to take financial advice? We surveyed 1,463 of them and found that around a third receive currently receive financial advice. Um, and of those that receive it or used to receive it, uh, 67% said it improved their financial position. We did find 6% said that taking financial advice had worsened it. However, I think there's another actual uh, stat to take from the FCA, which is really important here. And it's that 4.2 million people in the UK hold £10,000 or more in investable assets, but they hold them in cash, as in it's money they could be investing but they're not. And, you know, during that time, their cash is being devalued by inflation. But this is what the FCA is concerned about. You know, why aren't these people able to invest? Is there a lack of knowledge there? And is that lack of knowledge something that financial advice could solve? So I think a lot of the things we're going to be talking about later in the pod are connected to that idea of like, how do we get more people investing? Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to that is the um, ILC did some research in 2019. That's the International Longevity Centre. And they found that on average, people who'd sought financial advice were about £47,000 better off over a 10-year period than those who hadn't. And that included the global financial crisis 10 years when you know assets fell dramatically in value. So that's worth remembering, I suppose. So 
If in the majority of cases, then seeking financial advice seems to be worthwhile, why don't more of us do it? And this is the bit where we can finally bring in costs, because as I mentioned earlier, it's thought that it comes with a hefty price tag, that it's for the wealthy. Sam, is it? Well, (laughs) the answer is... It depends. I don't think it's for the very wealthy, if that's what people are imagining. I think what you need is to have enough money that you've, say, got a rainy day fund, which we usually say is three months worth of expenses or six months if you're retired, and then have enough extra money that you're kind of willing to invest, willing to, say, put away for the long term. Uh, then it kind of makes more sense to get financial advice. And the first thing to note is that advice is actually usually paid by selling a proportion of your investment. So the advisor, say, will charge a percentage, uh, kind of 2.4% is often cited as the average. And each year they sell a little bit of your investments to take kind of their fee, as opposed to you having to get out the credit card in their office. Uh, however, you know, upfront payments do exist. They are one option and some people like them but we'll get into that later um you know that said the amounts involved with financial advice can look very intimidating we went to vouched for which is a comparison site effectively for financial advisors asked them to give us some average figures the fee for creating a financial plan involving a hundred thousand pounds worth of investments and receiving ongoing advice for it for five years that added up to over seven thousand five hundred pounds um, in total. So yes, that is a lot of money. However, you know, you're investing £100,000. So you've got to see it in that kind of wider context. The key thing to remember is that financial advice can make you money, whether it's because you get better investments than you would have picked yourself, uh, or because your financial advisor makes sure that you're putting your investment in tax wrappers, such as stocks and shares ISA, so you're not paying that tax or because they properly insure you in case things go wrong. We had a magazine article last year with a case study where they'd gone to their financial advisor uh, for something completely different. The financial advisor had said to them, do you have critical illness cover, which is insurance if you can't work? And the person was like, no, didn't think I need it. You know, not that um, old, in fairly good health. And then actually later, they got very, very sick. But luckily, they had this critical illness cover that the financial advisor had kind of suggested to them and helped set up. So it can really, really pay off in different ways. Now, in a recent piece for Which Money magazine, there's a brilliantly transparent breakdown of costs. And it's safe to say some of these are eye-wateringly high. But the amount of investable money people need to have to get an advisor in the first place is often in the hundreds of thousands too. So... Is this the real issue then? How often is this the case? And and does it ultimately mean consumers are being priced out? Yeah, there is an issue around the minimums uh, of wealth that financial advisors expect. So the 2022 Schroeder's Advisor Annual Survey of 400 advisors showed that the number of advisors prepared to work with clients with less than £50,000 to invest had reduced dramatically over the past few years from 53% of advisors in 2019 to only 32% last year. And actually one in six advisors will only accept you know, new customers of more than £200,000 to invest. It's, it's really putting it out of reach of quite a lot of people who could benefit from it. Um, however, you know, there are reasons for this. And I think actually, Olivia, you're probably best placed to kind of speak about why these minimums exist. Yes, sure, absolutely. Um, It's something we are worried about as a firm um, in terms of what it means for wider society. 
I think the problem really started with the abolishment of commission in 2013 when with the introduction of the of RDR, talking jargon now. Um, but what that meant is because abolishment, um, because commission was abolished, that led to higher upfront costs. Um, and it did price many clients or potential clients out of the market. Um, and we thought at the time, this is bound to create an advice gap and and it did. Um, so I suppose in our defence as an industry, we are very heavily regulated, um, as we should be, but it does incur some substantial costs. And many of those are proportional to the amount of clients you have or the, the funds under management, as we call it, the amount of money we're responsible for on behalf of our clients. But also there are some very key fixed costs we have to pay into the financial services compensation scheme although actually financial advisors our clients don't benefit from that in terms of if we go bust it's sort of irrelevant to them it depends where we've put their money Um, and if one of those companies go bust that when that's when the financial services compensation scheme can be really helpful but we as financial advisors still have to pay into that that's quite a key cost Um, and our fca costs of course And can we also just stress here the difference between getting one-off financial advice and signing up for something longer? Because the latter, as you'd expect, comes with a much heftier ongoing fee. So how do you know which is right for you? I would say that really depends on what you need, um, the complexity of your finances, your age as well, um, and your own personal ability to manage your finances yourself. Um, We do have people coming to us who just want a one-off piece of advice, often, again, preparation for retirement or possibly putting something in trust for a family member. Um, But then they think, well, I'll probably be all right for a few years. And we set up an investment strategy that won't need constant monitoring by a financial advisor. And they can let it run itself for a few years and then maybe come back to us in the future just to check that everything's on track. There are a lot of cases where people do need ongoing advice and it's good where kind of financial advisors make people think about the future. We have been and are still concerned about people paying for ongoing financial advice who don't really need it. And the FCA actually in 2020 said they were concerned about people being placed in these ongoing kind of relationships who don't need it. You know, we have heard cases where people have really not heard much from their advisor after that first year. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, if the advisor is telling you, you know, should set up an ongoing thing to understand why that is, to understand the value that you'll get out of it, or whether actually you really just need that one-time service, uh, perhaps paying a one-off fee, and then you can just walk away. So can we talk then about the more affordable routes to advice, if there is such a thing? Um, now, so-called robo-advisors, could these be the answer to making it more accessible? How do they work and how do they compare to traditional advice? Robo-advisor is quite an infuriating term in that it means pretty much what you want it to mean. The way that we use it in which money magazine is to refer to online investment platforms. These are places that you can buy and sell investments in online but ones that will pick investments for you. So they're mainly automated, hence the robo bit, not entirely. Uh, But they pick investments by asking you to do a questionnaire. I've done one myself. There's a lot of questions like, why are you investing? How would you feel if the value of your investments dropped 20%? 
they take your answers and use that to kind of pick a portfolio of funds for you. So in that way, they do, you know, give an element of financial advice and the picking investments, but they're not holistic. They won't advise you on your tax situations, your savings or any insurance you have. Uh, so they're not you know, perfect in that sense. The other thing is, I think a few years ago, people thought that robo-advisors would be kind of really popular and they would fill that advice gap that we mentioned earlier. But actually, a lot of people aren't really comfortable relying on, you know, as they think of it, a robot to pick their uh, investments. They want to speak to a person who can empathize with them and talk around the topic. And I think that's why, although it is one solution to the advice gap, it's perhaps not the only solution. Really useful advice there. Um, and as, as has become very clear during today's show, changes need to be made to make financial advice more accessible. And the FCA has stepped in to help. Sam, can you talk us through its proposals? Yes. So the FCA are proposing a no frills model of financial advice. Uh, no frills is not a term they're using, by the way. They've gone for the snappier core investment advice regime. Uh, but that's what it is. Essentially, we're talking about simpler and hopefully cheaper financial advice. So you'll only be able to get this sort of financial advice if you're opening a new stocks and shares ISA, which also limits you in how much you're investing. You can only put in up to £20,000 into ISAs per year. That's your annual allowance. Uh, and so this advice is likely to be an advisor helping you pick what goes into that stocks and shares ISA. You know, perhaps the funds and stocks you should going to be putting in there. It will hopefully be cheaper because advisors won't have to do the same level of fact find uh, on you, on your objectives, risk appetite, etc. And advisors would be allowed to hold slightly lower qualifications, although still you know, quite a lot of qualifications uh, in order to provide this service. Saying that, there's no cap on charges for, for the new core investment advice regime. So you'll still need to understand you know, what you're paying and potentially look at getting quotes from other advisors before committing. So can you give us a kind of ballpark figure or percentage that, that listeners could expect to pay? Yes, in the kind of vaguest terms. So earlier when we were talking about financial advice costs, we were talking about costs in the many thousands of pounds here, you know, albeit we're talking about investing much higher amounts. But if we're only talking about investing £20,000 into stocks and shares ISA, which is fairly straightforward, you should really be looking to pay in the very low hundreds of pounds. It shouldn't be more than that, because otherwise, uh, you know, the percentage of the money you're investing that you're paying in fees is suddenly getting very, very high. And Olivia, how has Castlefield responded to the proposals? What are your thoughts for how it will affect business and to what extent it will make advice more accessible and close the so-called advice gap? Well, it's too early to say, really. It feels very embryonic at the moment. We're not really sure how it's going to play out. Um, on initial thought, my initial thoughts are it's, it's kind of too simplistic, really. The, there's no mention of pensions protection you know again we're just so tuned into the holistic plan for clients that we can't ignore all the other areas that um a client may need um we have to get to know your client that's a that's again an fca phrase know your client so it sort of goes against the grain instinctively um to to parcel up advice and say we're only going to advise on this one thing because we could be missing something that's more important, you know, 
than an ISA, for example, like protecting the family. So I think we would, as a firm, struggle with it. Um, but I'm all for having ways to get more you know, young people into providing financial advice. And so it is useful when there are routes for younger, less experienced members of the team to sort of cut their teeth in giving financial advice. Firms aren't going to be required to offer this sort of simplified advice. It's going to be a choice. There is, you know, an open question there. Will any financial advisors actually want to offer this service? Will it be worth their while? And are the only ones that are going to offer it, you know, perhaps not going to be the best in the business? That's a little bit of a concern I think the FCA needs to deal with. And with all these changes on the horizon, but no immediate solution. To finish then, what are the best options for anyone listening right now? And what's the best way to access them? Uh, The first thing is to kind of understand uh, what is it you need? What are you looking for? So, you know, why not start that? If I may plug our own website here with witch.co.uk forward slash money, there's, you know, guides on all sorts of topics there. You know, if you're looking at those guides thinking, actually, I think I can do this myself, then it probably is likely to be cost effective to do that. However, if you're not sure, or you're talking about kind of very complicated topics around tax and investments, then it's definitely worth you know going and having that initial chat with a financial advisor, which is likely to be free, or considering guidance services. Guidance is a term for its advice without the personalised advice bit. They can't tell you what to do, but they can give you the information. So for over 50s looking at retirement and pension options, there's PensionWise. For which money subscribers, there's the Money Helpline. And again, you know, it is possible that conversations with those guidance services will actually make you think, no, I need that personalised, holistic advice. And that, I think, for me, is when I would turn to an advisor and be, I need your help. Uh, On which note, Olivia, I need your help. (laughs) Well, I would say, yes. I mean, the Which Money website is brilliant. I use it as well. So the um, how much will you need to retire um, research that you did, I show that to clients all the time because I get them to do a personalised spreadsheet for how much they think they're going to need in retirement. But that article gives brilliant context about generally how much people need in the UK these days. And again, that's really reassuring for people and gives them some sense of what they should expect, you know. Um, So, so yes, I'd say have a look at the Which um, Money website. Um, Also, and again, speaking as an um, ESG specialist, environmental, social and governance um, factors, um, the UCSIF, or UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association, has financial advisors on their website that, again, specialise in thoughtful investing, ethical investing. So that might be of interest to some of your listeners. Um, good with Money is a really good financial um publication so you can get their emails and look online they're very active on linkedin and everything else and twitter so i'd point you in in their direction as well for sort of top tips a huge huge thank you to sam and olivia for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the witch money podcast if you enjoyed today's show please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch us again next week for more money news and advice find us on social media at witch money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money and we also have a free money newsletter which is delivered to your inbox every monday to sign up visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter This episode of the Witch Money podcast was written by me, Lucia Ariano, produced by me and Rob Lilly, edited by Rob, with additional support from Grace Witherden and Matthew Jenkins.